can't believe that we are already on the second week of January, which means all major gift-giving holidays are over. I heard recently that more breakups and stuff happen right before the holiday, usually two weeks before it's when people start making their definitive Christmas and New Year's plan. And then they're like, oh, I can't take this person into all of the family stuff, right? I don't want to take this person into all the family stuff. Anyway, so you've got that big gift giving holiday, Christmas right there, right? Then for those of you that are Euro and or other areas of the world, many of you celebrate King's Day which is January 6th. So now that we're to the 8th, we're finally through all of that. I hope that you got something totally awesome that you love and that you're super excited about. I know that me personally, I got something I totally love. It is an office chair and I bought it for myself because I knew exactly what kind I wanted. I knew what I needed it to be like. It's got this amazing lumbar support. I've loved, 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 loved sitting in it. It's fantastic. So as you look over just the last 45 days, would you say, though, that something that you got is a treasure? Like, oh, I'm so glad I got this. This is one of my treasures. Now, to help you understand what I'm talking about here, a treasure is, again, Oxford Dictionary Online, my bestie, treasure is a quantity of precious metals, gems, or other valuable objects. So did you get a treasure for Christmas? I know that for me, I got something that is going to be a treasure to somebody else. And that is I got a new copy of the Book of Mormon. And I absolutely, absolutely love a new copy of the Book of Mormon because it's an opportunity to mark it up and to put notes and thoughts in it. And I know that a couple of my kids and others have expressed interest in my scriptures when I'm finished with them. So I got a treasure because to me, I love them when they're brand new. Like I have, I don't even know how many copies of the Book of Mormon currently in my house that are either brand new that I've never read or that I've started reading but haven't finished or ones that I've just like torn through. They are treasures to me. But I have another couple other treasures that are actually in the form of the Book of Mormon. Also, I have a little tiny, tiny copy, the pocket copy of the Book of Mormon that belonged to my now 13-year-old. I used to tell my seminary classes that when I had a baby, the first book that they would get would be a copy of the Book of Mormon and that it would be in their crib. And that is legit. When my child was born, we got a copy of the Book of Mormon. It was in her crib with her when she was in nursery. She was carrying that thing back and forth to church with her, her little scriptures. And we got her some colored pencils and it is marked up all crazy like you would imagine a toddler to mark and write in it because anytime she saw me marking, then she needed to go mark her scriptures. And absolutely love that. That is a treasure for me. And that treasure is located with another treasure, which is a copy of the Book of Mormon also. I know there's a theme here, clearly. I love copies of the Book of Mormon. But this other copy is actually my mother's last copy of the Book of Mormon. And part of what makes this copy of the Book of Mormon so special to me or treasured is it's the one that went back and forth with her to the hospital. Every time that she would have to go in for what was happening with her cancer and everything else, she would always ask, do I have my, do I have my Book of Mormon? Do I have my Book of Mormon? And I have very fond memories of sitting in the hospital rooms with her and reading from the Book of Mormon. Now, there is something, though, kind of interesting about both my mom and my daughter's copies of the Book of Mormon that I just shared with you. And that is, if you search inside of their record, it doesn't make sense. But let me tell you what I mean. For example, if you come into the first page of my new set, if you come into the first page of First Nephi, 
there is a key, right, that says, okay, anything that's in this orange is going to be deity. So, you know, if it's underlined in orange, it's going to be God the Father, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Ghost, right? Green, actions, purple, promises, red, adversary, and G, G, G is just general. Yes, it is. But blue is general. And so just general markings are going to be in blue. Well, you look at my daughter, who was a toddler, and clearly, like, there's no method to her madness, right? She she was 18 months to 24 months to 36 months, marking her scriptures. No method to her madness. But if you look at my mother's, there's also not a lot of method to the madness. Or we're left with the question of, well, why? Why did you mark this? Why was this important to you? Now, the reason that I want you thinking about this and, and that I shared this with you is because the first five chapters of First Nephi, we actually are introduced to two different sets of scriptures, if you will. One of them you know very well, and one of them you may have totally missed when you were reading. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to take a look at verses 6 through 13. What we want to do is we want to take a look here at, at what Lehi shares with us, okay? So we're starting here in verse 6. And it came to pass that as he prayed, that's Lehi, unto the Lord there came a pillar of fire and dwelled upon a rock before him, and he saw and heard much. And because of the things which he saw and heard, he did quake and tremble exceedingly. And it came to pass that as he returned to his own house at Jerusalem, and he cast himself upon his bed, being overcome with the spirit and the things which he had seen, and being thus overcome with the spirit, he was carried away in a vision, even that he saw the heavens open. And he thought he saw God sitting on his throne, surrounded with numberless concourses of angels in the attitude of singing and praising their God. Seriously, what Lehi is trying to say there is that he saw me. He just kind of left my name out. Nine, and it came to pass that he saw one, Christ, descending out of the midst of heaven, and he beheld that his luster was above that of the sun at noonday. For those of you that walked with us through the New Testament, you remember no sun, no sun, right? So the reason he is brighter than the sun of the noonday is because he's the reason the sun has the power. Because if you got the sun, you got the sun. And he also saw 12 others following him. 12 apostles. And the brightness did exceed that of the stars and the firmament. And they came down and they went forth upon the face of the earth. And the first came and stood before my father and gave unto him a book. And he bade him that he should read. And it came to pass that as he read, he was filled with the spirit of the Lord. And he read, saying, Woe, woe unto Jerusalem, for I have seen thine abominations, yea, and many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem, that it should be destroyed, and the inhabitants thereof. Many should perish by the sword, and many should be carried away captive into Babylon. We have Lehi, and what is he doing? Well, he's given a book here in verse 11. What book is this? Well, if we take a peek, we know that it is the same book that a really cool guy that you just studied also had. His name was John the Revelator. Lehi is given the history of the world. And so he does exactly what any of us would do. He turns immediately to his time period. I know that if the Savior came and said, Candace, here is the history of the world, the chapter I would look up is 2024 and beyond. I already know what happened before, kind of, but I really want to know what's going to happen. And so as Lehi gets this book, he reads it and he reads of his own time. The first record that we're introduced to is we're introduced to a record of the history of the world. Now, I don't know about you, if I had that book, not only would I treasure it, but I would be studying it copiously because I would want to understand what was happening. Well, we're introduced to the second set of scriptures in chapter three, in verses two and three. I'm going to have another vision here. Lehi, he's a visionary man, right? 
chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And it came to pass that he spake unto me, saying, Behold, this is Lehi speaking to Nephi, I have dreamed a dream in the which the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brethren shall return to Jerusalem. For behold, Laban hath the record of the Jews and also a genealogy of my forefathers, and they are engraven upon the plates of brass. Now, this is where we get introduced to the idea or the concept of the plates of brass. And every time I read this verse, again, I think of that same little. When we would read scriptures when she was little, we would have her recite things for us. So she'd have her, she'd have one would be a verse when it would come around the circle. So you'd say like a couple words and then she would say them. This verse was actually one of her very first verses as we started the Book of Mormon. And when we got to end upon the plates of brass, it came out upon the blades of grass. So the plates of brass or the blades of grass, it's all the same. We get introduced to that Lehi has a vision and he is instructed that his sons need to go back and get the plates of brass. Now, that being said, why were the plates of brass so important? I mean, Lehi's already read the history of the world, if you will. He has seen the book of life. He's held it. He's read it. He knows what's happening in his time period. So why would these plates of brass be so important? I love that in 1 Nephi chapter 5, we get that answer. So as we jump over into chapter 5, we are given in this chapter four reasons, but we're going to talk about five reasons why this is important. So the first reason is found in chapter 5, verse number 11. And he beheld that they did contain the five books of Moses, which gave an account of the creation of the world and also of Adam and Eve, who were our first parents. So the first reason that the brass plates were so important is that it had the five books of Moses. Now, you may be thinking, well, what are the five books of Moses? Well, you have a copy of them, hopefully, in the form of what's called the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the five books of Moses. So he needs those five books of Moses so that he has what? Well, the account of the creation of the world, Adam and Eve, who are our first parents. And for those of you that are in doubt, you understand why he needs that. And I'm just going to leave that sitting on the table. Verse 12. And also a record of the Jews from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now, why did the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah? Well, Zedekiah was the king when Lehi was a prophet. And so it literally is the record or the history of the Jewish people. Now, that would be pretty important. Because again, one of the crazy things about history is we have we have a way of repeating ourselves, right? Like, for example, later on in the Book of Mormon, well, first, the Book of Mormon is said to be a foreshadow of the last days. One of the things is, you'll, as we get into Helaman and Third Nephi, they'll be talking about how, like, they had to sleep on their swords and people were just so crazy that you couldn't leave anything out because then it would just be taken. That actually happened during the Christmas holidays in Rose Park, Utah, a woman had decorated her yard, had been up for about a week, went to bed, and when she got up the next morning, the lights off her house, like off the roof, the lights off her roof and in her yard, her wreath, everything were taken while she slept. So why is history important? Well, because it teaches us what to look for. My husband, when he saw that article, he texted me and he literally said, hey, this reminds me of the Book of Mormon, verse 13. And also the prophecies of the holy prophets from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, and also many prophecies which have been spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah. Now, it's important to understand that Jeremiah and Lehi, they're contemporaries. 
It'd be like President Nelson getting the writings of President Oaks. And let's be honest, who wouldn't want the writings of President Holland? It's got all of these prophecies of the prophets. And then he tells us in verse 14, when it came to pass that my father Lehi also found upon the plates of brass a genealogy of his father's. So he's got his family history. So we get these four reasons. The book of Moses, because we've got to have the temple, record of the Jews, prophecies of, of current prophets, and his genealogy. Now, there's one other really important reason back in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, of why we need or why they needed the plates of brass. Look, Listen to this. We're back in chapter 3, 19 and 20. And behold, it was wisdom in God that we should obtain these records that we may preserve unto our children the language of our fathers, and also that we may preserve unto them the words which have been spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets, which have been delivered unto them by the Spirit and the power of God since the world began even down into the present time. Now that last one's really interesting, to preserve our language and to help us feel the Spirit. So as I think of those five things at the brass plates, why we needed them, I immediately went to the question of, well, which of these do the Book of Mormon help us to have today? Does the Book of Mormon help us better understand the five books of Moses? 100%. Does the Book of Mormon contain a record of the Jews? 100%. Does the Book of Mormon contain prophecies of prophets? 100%. Does the Book of Mormon contain genealogy? Oh, yeah, because we're going to get into Alma and Alma and Helaman and Nephi and Lehi and Lehi and Nephi again, right? But what about this one? What about preserve the language or help us to fill the spirit? When I think of preserve the language, I think of one of my really dear friends who for a while taught elementary school. And one of the things that she would do whenever she had a child who was struggling with reading is she would find out if they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if she could find that out, which usually kids will talk to you about in a very non-threatening way, because they'll just share something about, do you know that in church on Sunday? And then you can say, well, what church do you go to? And then they'll tell you, right? So she would find out if these kids were of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if they were, when parents would come into parent-teacher conference and she would share with them, hey, I see that your child is struggling. And they'd say, well, do you know what we can do at home to help? She would always say this as her number one recommendation. Read the Book of Mormon with them. Because if a child can read the Book of Mormon, they can read just about anything. And the Book of Mormon helps with what? Well, it helps with preserving the language or language acquisition. I know that for me, I really began to speak Spanish better when I made it all the way through the copy of the Book of Mormon that had been translated into Spanish. It changed things for me. But he says it's also that so that we can have what the words of the prophet, that they might be delivered into them by the spirit and the power of God. As soon as I read that, I was reminded of an opportunity that I had where Elder Richard G. Scott and Elder Henry B. Iron were going to answer questions. And by answer questions, what I mean by that is I was at a training meeting and we had the opportunity to text them in, text in our questions to a general authority. I'm going to be totally honest. I had stage fright. Like for the 10 minutes that the timer was clicking on the screen, I kept trying to think of like a really good question. Like if you could ask President Iring any question, what would you ask him? Yeah, I, I just, my mind went like white walls. Couldn't think of anything. Well, the 10 minutes end, we get back into the discussion as we get back into the discussion, Elder Richard G. Scott comes in, President Irene comes in. Well, one of the questions that somebody had texted in, which I thought was a brilliant question, was, 
when you feel a loss of the spirit, what do you do to get it back? Isn't that a great question to ask an apostle? Like, if you feel a loss of the spirit, what do you do to get it back? Well, I love what happened next. Because the then elder Irene, who was a junior member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, he said, if I ever have an opportunity where I really want to feel the spirit, I pick up the Book of Mormon and I begin reading. And I read until I feel it because there's never been a time in my life when reading the Book of Mormon hasn't brought the spirit. Well, isn't that what it says? Which have been delivered unto them by the spirit and the power of God. Well, what I love is as he answered that, he turned to Elder Richard D. Scott, who was the senior apostle, with this look on his face as if to say, is that right? And Elder Richard D. Scott said, I love that answer. That has been my experience also. I read the Book of Mormon. So if members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles read the Book of Mormon, and they consider it a treasure, how will you, in this year, 2024, make your copy of the Book of Mormon a treasure? What is it that you're going to do? I, I would encourage you to mark in colors. I would encourage you to look for specific things and mark those. I would encourage you to write notes in your margin and potentially even start fresh. I know that for me, starting with a fresh book, I can hardly wait to see what it looks like when I'm all finished. The reality is, is often as we approach the Book of Mormon, for those of you that have read it numerous times, we approach it the same way as we have before. We begin reading, and I, Nephi, haven't been born of goodly parents, and what do we know? Well, we know that Nephi sees that his father is prophesying. His prophet father prophesies. He has this dream. They're supposed to leave. They pack it up. They go into the wilderness. After they go get out into the wilderness, he has another dream. Go back and get the brass plates. They go get the brass plates. They come back. He gets told to go, but they go back, and they have to get wives, and they come back, and then there's a ship, and then there's a broken bow, and there's all this crazy madness, right? And we're pretty used to that. We're like, yeah, well, that's a book of Mormon. But there's more going on. See, one of the most quoted scriptures in the Book of Mormon is actually found in 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 15. It's super, super short. As soon as I say it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. Most of you haven't recited. You just don't know that it belongs in 1 Nephi chapter 2, 15. Because it's one simple phrase, and it says, and my father dwelt in a tent. Right? You know that. Like, that is the scripture. Like, and my father dwelt in a tent. I will never, ever in my life forget a young boy. I want to say he was probably a junior who decided that he would use that as his scripture for the devotional. So we get done in seminary. We have the, we have the hymn, we have the prayer, and then he gets up and he's like, I'd like to share the scripture. And he opens the scripture, and the scripture I'd like to share is 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 15. My father dwelt in a tent. And then, thinking he would be funny, he said, because Lehi really liked to camp. Well, I have to be really honest. Everybody kind of chuckled. I did not. There are some things I don't chuckle about. So as he finished that, he sits down and I got up and I said, we'd like to thank so-and-so for sharing. And my father dwelt in a tent. And I'd like to talk to you about what the scriptures really teaches us about Lehi. See, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is what did Lehi actually leave? Why would it be so important for Nephi to write, and my dad now lives in a tent? Well, if we go back into the sequence of where Laman and Lemuel and Nephi and Sam go back to get the brass plates, if you remember attempt number one, Laman goes in and says, hey, give us the plates. And Laban says, heck no, won't go. They leave. Well, then on their second attempt, if you remember, they go in and they take a bunch of their 
I can think of this dude that I used to work with. He's all, here's some shiz for you, biz. So they go in with all of their property, right? And they say, here, Laban, we'll give you all of this if you'll give us the brass plates. But have you ever really paid attention to what it is that they took? Take a look at this. Verses 20 through, 22 through 25 of chapter 3. 22. And it came to pass that we went down to the land of our inheritance and we did gather together our gold, silver, and precious things. Now, precious things is a pretty bold umbrella, but this is what the precious things look like. Check, check this out. And after we had gathered these things together, we went up again into the house of Laban, and it came to pass that we went into Laban and desired him that he would give unto us the records which were engraven upon the plates of brass, for which we would give unto him our gold, our silver, and all our precious things. And it came to pass that when Laban saw our property, that it was exceedingly great. He did lust after it. So it's not like they came in with like, well, here's a hundred bucks. Can you give us the brass plates? They're coming in with the Tesla and the Ferrari and the Jeep. They're coming in, you know, with the three humped camel, whatever it is their transportation is, right? They're coming in with the, with the rings and the jewelry and all of the things that are of value that Lehi literally left in his house. And it's so big and so great that Laban not only lusts after it, but he lusts after it in so much that he thrust us out and sent his servants to slay us. It was so big, he was willing to kill for it. Now, I don't know about you, but that's no small chunk of change. And so we have to ask ourselves a really important question. So why did Lehi leave? If he was not only a prophet of God, but also potentially a wealthy individual in Jerusalem, why would you leave that and go live in a tent? See that little verse there? And my father dwelt in a tent. And my father dwelt in a tent. Seven words teach us that Lehi loved the word of God more than anything. Lehi loved God's command and desired to follow it more than he loved anything that the world could give him. Which is really interesting to think about because you and I, we all have something that we really value or that we feel is really important. Have you ever, though, taken that thing that was really important and gone to share it with somebody? And as you were sharing it with them, you noticed that either one, they weren't paying attention, two, they potentially were on their phone, or three, you could tell that they didn't really value what you were sharing. Like, here you are, you're like bearing your soul, like, this is so important to me, I want to share this experience with you. And you look over and you're like, and I'm so glad that what I'm sharing is so important to you that you cannot even stay off Instagram. The reason I want you thinking about that is we now understand how much Lehi loves the word of God. And he's not afraid to share it. Again, he's a known man in Jerusalem. So he goes out to share the word of God and look at how the recipients in Jerusalem receive his word. First Nephi 1 Nephi 1.19 And it came to pass that the Jews did mock him because of the things which he testified of them, for he truly testified of their wickedness and their abominations, and he testified that the things which he saw and heard and also the things which he read in the book, remember he read that book of life, manifested plainly of the coming of Messiah and also the redemption of the world. So they mock him. He has literally read the book of life given to him by the Holy Ghost, and he goes and testifies of it, and everybody mocks him. 
Because the people of Jerusalem, what do they love more? Do they love the word of God or do they love their shiz? They love their shiz. Verse 20. And when the Jews heard these things, they were angry with him. So he's just told them a savior is going to come and redeem the world and they get mad. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love for President Nelson to get up and say, the savior is coming in six months. I, whoop, sign me up. Whoop, there he is. I'm coming, right? Like I'm ready. But here is Lehi saying, look, we got to prepare because the savior is coming. And they get angry, even with the prophet of old, whom they had cast out and stoned and slain, and they sought to, to take away his life. So that's how Jerusalem feels about him. Do you know what's really crazy is we get glimpses into how his family feels about him. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Now remember, we know that Lehi loves the word of the Lord. Why? Because he dwelt in a tent. He gave everything the world had given him up for what the Lord wanted him to do. 2 Nephi 2, 11 through 14. And now he spake because of the stiff-neckedness of who? Laman and Lemuel, for they did murmur. Verse 12. And thus Laman and Lemuel, being the eldest, did murmur against their father, and they did murmur because they did not know, they because they knew not the dealings of God who had created them. Verse 13. Neither did they believe. They were likened to the Jews who were at Jerusalem who sought to take away the life of my father. Two of his children seek to take away his life. They don't believe. Verse 16, same chapter, Nephi. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless, being large in stature, and also having great desires to know of the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart that I did did believe all the words which had been spoken of by my father. Wherefore, I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. So you had a 180. Murmur, complain, don't believe. I love that Nephi doesn't just take his word for it. and say, okay, my dad said this, I'm going to do this. Not that that's a bad approach, but he goes and he what? He prays, the spirit comes and softens his heart, he believes. And then he does something really interesting. He becomes like his dad because he immediately goes to his older brother, Sam, and he says, Sam, verse 17, making known unto him the things which the Lord manifested unto me by the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass that he, meaning Sam, believed on my words. So Sam believes on the words of Nephi. That's actually a spiritual gift to believe the testimony of others. Here's what I find super interesting. Rehi has a wife. Her name's Sariah. And in chapter five, we learn this about Sariah. Check this out. Verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass that after we had come down into the wilderness unto our fathers, behold, he was filled with joy. And also my mother, Sariah, was exceedingly glad, for she truly had mourned because of us, for she had supposed that we had perished in the wilderness, and she also had complained against my father. And after this manner, verse 3 of language, had my mother complained. Now, I don't know about you, but can you imagine complaining to the prophet? Verse 8. Sons are back. She testifies that he knows that her husband is a visionary man. But then she says this. She spake saying, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Yea, and I also know of an assurity that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of, the la of Laban and given them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them. And after this manner of language did she speak. So she suddenly begins testifying. So we can murmur and complain. We can cry unto the Lord and ask for help to understand. 
We can believe the testimony of someone that we trust, or we can complain, but still act. Sariah went through it and comes to her own testimony, which brings us to a super important question for these first five chapters of the Book of Mormon. And that is, what do you treasure? Do you treasure stuff like Laban? Or do you treasure words of the living prophets and words of God like Lehi? See, President Nelson in our most recent conference talk, quote, how and where and with whom do you want to live forever? You get to choose. When you make choices, I invite you to take the long view, an eternal view. Put Jesus Christ first because your eternal life is dependent upon your faith in him and his atonement. It is also dependent upon your obedience to his laws. Obedience paves the way for a joyful life for you today and a grand eternal reward tomorrow. When you are confronted with a dilemma, think celestial. Close quote. So what President Nelson is doing is he is taking an ancient verse and making it modern. Think celestial, right? Because he's just said what? Obedience pays the way for a joyful life for you today and a grand eternal reward tomorrow when you are confronted with a dilemma. Think celestial. Sounds a little bit like 1 Nephi 2.22. And inasmuch as thou shalt keep my commandments, thou shalt be made a ruler and a teacher over thy brethren. Or in other words, inasmuch as we keep his commandments, we prosper in the land. You and I are going to prosper. And we're going to hear that over and over as we go through the Book of Mormon this year. That obedience brings forth an opportunity for the Lord to bless us. So we're to the point where we've got to go and do something. But I need you to go. And will you treasure the words of the living prophets? If you don't study any of the other conference talks, we at least study President Nelson's talk and really think celestial. Will you treasure the teachings of the Book of Mormon this year in action? I know that as we treasure those words, as we make them become precious objects, valuable to us as we internalize them, both the words of living prophets and the teachings of the Book of Mormon, we will make 2024 our happiest year yet in spite of the chaos and calamity that surrounds us. You see, Lehi and company, they lived in a crazy, wicked world. And they understand how to teach us as a family how to be happy. May we find that happiness through treasuring the words of prophets and treasuring the teaching of the Book of Mormon. This week is my hope. Go treasure it up. Take care. The Go and Do podcast is created by me, Candice Shoup, and edited and produced by Cammie Fisher. We'd absolutely love it if you would take the time to follow us where you listen to your podcasts, along with download. And if you like what you're listening to, please leave us a review. We also invite you to follow us on Instagram at Go and Do Podcast. And if you want to talk to me personally, feel free to email the Go and Do Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, friends, to have a good time, don't be a good time. Let's go and do.